welcome to another episode of Emotions and Potions, a love-slash-hate letter to... I'm one of your hosts, Alex. And I am the other host, Ashton. Welcome back. We're super excited to be here, taking on the latest book. We getting into some monster porn. Yeah, we are going for, like, straight monster erotica this week. Yeah, so you had a lovely, nice, fluffy romance story the last With episode. the takeover, yeah. Well, we're, sh- we're shaking it up. We're going in hard and deep and um, a lot. What did we read this past week? So we read book one of the Tempting Monsters series, A Lady of Rook's Grave Manor by Catherine Moon. And this one's a pretty popular one. It is. I've been trying to get you to read this one I know, for a while. You've read this months and months and months ago. Last year. Yeah. And you were like, you would like it. We should do it for the pod. And I was like, okay. But yeah, A Lady of Rook's Grave Manor. A great monster erotica romance-esque vibe. Lots of peens. Lots of peens in lots of places. Mm-hmm. All right. So warning and content triggers because I feel like... We need them with this book. We're getting on it. A lot of them. Okay. Yeah. Content and trigger warnings include... Attempted sexual assault, house fire, murderous intent choking, near drowning, murderous possession of character, violence, stabbing, and sex work. We also get quite a few tropes in this novel as well, which include a reverse harem, meaning one lady, multiple Multiple men. men, monster romance, explicit sex, nodding, blood play, anal, Edging, public sex, voyeurism, oral, non-human, human sex, electricity sex, sex theater, tentacle play, primal play, consensual non-consent, somnophilia, male-female, male-male, male-male-female. So, uh, yeah, we got a lot going on. Yeah, what's your kink? This book probably's got you covered. All right, Alex. Now it's time for our book synopsis, so would you please read that to us? Of course. On the brink of losing her position as a maid, and with no prospects to go on, the offer of a place at Rooksgrave Manor, a house of ill and unusual repute, sounds like a perfect fit for a young woman with Esther's inclinations. Even better, the invitation comes by the hand of the handsome Dr. Underwood. A delicate gentleman with a ferocious alter ego who knows exactly what he wants from Esther. Upon arrival, the men and the daily decadence of the manor feel too good to be true for a girl of Esther's station. There are rules to be followed, expectations to be met, and Esther is afraid she might be too wicked even for a place like Brooksgrave. Temptations look around every shadowy corner, and Esther has never been a girl able to resist. But the risk of disappointing her new gentleman isn't all that's threatening Esther's new position. Rooksgrave Manor's protections for its unusual patrons are failing. The wards are crumbling, and Esther's new and exquisitely pleasurable life may all come tumbling down. Okay. That one wasn't bad. I thought that that kind of was... It's a good summary. Yeah. Without giving a lot away. Yeah. You kind of know what to expect with, like, plot. You get introduced to one of the gentlemen. You get introduced to one of many. (laughs) Gentlemen. And alluding to the fact that there'll be more. Yep. But and once again, it didn't give, like, a crap ton away. No, and that there is more under the surface of this book than just the... Monster sex. Yeah. 
Cool. Well, I wasn't not mad at that. No. All right. So now that we've kind of told you what this book is going to be about, if you haven't read it, give you a refresher. If you have read it, let's jump into our potion portion. Alex, I'm super, super, super excited to try this bubbly, red, fruity drink you prepared. I'm excited for this one. So please, enlighten us. What what have you created to represent a, a lady of Rooksgrave Manor? So this drink I am calling Love from the Stars. So this is some pama, pomegranate liqueur and some Prosecco, some Italian Prosecco. And then, you know, we got some magic and some mysticism in this book, so I had to add in some luster dust. And the inspiration behind this is when one of our monsters, Auguste, uh, is feeding Esther pomegranate seeds, he's telling her the story of Hades and Persephone. So that's why I wanted to do, like, the pomegranate along with the Prosecco. And they're in, like, a bougie brothel. So I figured there's going to be champagne flowing. True. And I thought this particular drink could be a drink that's served in the manner at the dinners when, like, everyone's together and mingling and stuff, all of the patrons could do, like, a toast uh, with it. Okay. And the toast would be, to love from the stars. Love that. You're so thorough. So imaginative. Love it. I'm super excited to try it. I haven't I haven't taken a little sip. So, so I mean, let's do the toast. Yes. To love from the stars. To love the stars. Ooh. Wow, that's, like, a burst of flavor. Like, my mouth just, like, lit up. Yeah. Oh, and then I did um add some, like, raspberries and some pine berries, which are, like, funky strawberry pineapple amalgamations of a thing. Yeah, when you pulled those out, I was like, the fuck is that pale-ass strawberry thing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what kind of mutations are you doing over here, Alex? It's a monster romance. I needed some monster fruit. That is amazing. It does look like a monster fruit. Okay, Alex, uh, 10 out of 10. You did it again. This is, like, super light, super refreshing, very flavorful, but there's, but there's also, like, a lot of flavors going on. Yeah. Because, like, the Prosecco and the pomegranate liqueur together. I think complement each other really yeah. well. Yeah. I'm very impressed. Yay! Yay! Another successful potion! All right. So now that we have our potions ready to go, I think we should just jump into this book. Hold on to your panties. It's going to be a ride. Or take them off. <laughs> Alex. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> simmer yourself down. No, this book needed to simmer itself down. <laughs> so Esther and another housemaid are eavesdropping on the lady of the house, Mrs. Pickering. And she is in a feminine hysteria session with the young and handsome Dr. Underwood. How is feminine hysteria treated in uh, Victorian Edwardian times, which is, I think, when this book takes place? It's treated with masturbation uh, dis- that is being distributed by the good Dr. Underwood and his little vibrating machine. Sweet. This is the prologue. <laughs> As Mrs. Pickering is enjoying her treatment, Esther is being a voyeur and getting aroused and starting to rub herself. When she is caught and interrupted by Dr. Underwood, who asks her to bring Mrs. Pickering some water, he's intrigued by Miss Esther. And she pawns this job of getting the water off on another maid and rushes to find the stable boy and asks him, how fast can you get hard? Time jumps a few months and Esther's employers are losing their wealth 
So she's about to be let go. And there are fine gentlemen and ladies appraising the items they want to purchase from the Pickerings when everything goes up for auction. Dr. Underwood is there, and he has a proposal for Esther. He's been interested in her for some time and has a possible job opportunity for her that he wishes to discuss in private, and she wants more information about his machine. So they agree that Esther will meet the doctor at his practice that evening, and during their meeting, they both start seducing each other, and the doctor demonstrates his machine on Esther. As they are having sex, the doctor starts to turn into a monster, Mr. Tanner, and Esther is down for a fuck on the wild side. When they finish, Dr. Underwood informs her there is a manner for creatures like him to be patrons, and women like her who enjoy sex are well taken care of, and he thinks she would be perfect fit for his club. Esther thinks she has found the perfect job for herself. Time for Esther to move into the manor and meet the mistress of the house, Magdalena Mortimer, who gives her a rundown of the rules of the house and is taken to her room by Booker the butler. And Magdalena is a witch, and Booker is a golem made of marble. While getting settled in her room, Esther hears, then witnesses a werewolf and another girl of the manor having sex by the lake, which Esther starts getting aroused, where she takes care of herself while the couple outside also get it on. And it's so funny because in this scene, she's like, so jealous yeah. that she has to wait for her patrons. Like, she wants someone now. She just showed up. <laughs> like, this is her first night. She's probably been there for all of an hour. Yeah. And it's it's just so funny. Like, that's very <clears throat> Esther. Like, yeah. throughout the whole story, she's just, she just loves sex. She does. Esther is excited and impatient to find out what type of monsters will become her men, as she wants to experience them all. The next day, Esther is taking a stroll around the lake, and she decides to take a nap on a bench. While dreaming, she is visited by one of her soon-to-be suitors, Amon, who is a sphinx. The two share a steamy makeout session, which gets interrupted as things were about to go further, by one of the villager boys, Jacob Combs. Mr. Combs, thinking he can do whatever he wants to one of the girls of the manor, starts to get aggressive with Esther and demanding to escort her back to the manor. Thankfully, Booker is there to intervene and return Esther safely. When she returns, Magdalena informs Esther that she will be meeting a potential suitor later that evening, and Jonathan Underwood, the good doctor, has sent her a dress to wear for the occasion, as he's friends with this other suitor, who is not Amon. So already, she's got three. <laughs> she also encourages Esther to get insight on her date from one of the other girls, Cassie. Esther asks Magdalena what Booker is, and is it frowned upon if anything were to happen between them? Magdalena lets her know that he is a golem, which she made, and it's none of her business what should happen between them if it doesn't interfere with Booker's butler duties and Esther's men. Very sex positive. What so you, sex positive. Who and what you do on your free time is your own business. Just don't let it interfere with the running of things. Esther goes to breakfast to talk with Cassie, and the other girls, and turns out her date is a vampire, Auguste Thibodeau. And then the girls all start to give out their um, sort of like tips and tricks for like dealing with different types of Monsters. monster monster men and monster dicks. That night on the date, Auguste has cooked a feast of desserts as he was formerly a pastry chef. 
And Esther tries some pomegranate and seductively eats them from a goose while he tells her the story of Hades and Persephone. Part of my inspo for the drink. After dinner, Esther can no longer contain her urges and demands to either be fucked in the kitchen or in her room. She's like, this wine and dining stuff was wonderful and all, but fuck me. <laughs> but I want your dick now. <laughs> and I don't care where. I just want it. A goose takes her up to her room where he tries to teach Esther the art of patience and teasing, which brings out Esther's dominant side. They wind up having lots of sex until Auguste must go to rest under the manor because vampire. He stays in the manor for three more nights, and while on a stroll around the lake, informs Esther on his next visit, he will take her to London, and they will go to the theater and will be accompanied by Dr. Underwood. During the walk, Esther notices a candle in the window of her room, and they return to investigate. And someone has definitely been in Esther's room uninvited. It's decided that while Auguste is gone and Esther isn't in the company of another suitor, Booker will keep watch over Esther. She takes this opportunity to let Auguste know that she wants Booker, and he's fine with her taking him to bed, but he wants to watch when it does happen. The next day, Esther is lounging outside with Booker working on her plan to seduce him when she must go have a meeting with Magdalena, where she gets informed Amon is still traveling and there isn't another suitor for her yet, as the cards go to wait. Magdalena inquires if Esther may know of any other girls that may be suited for the manor. Esther decides to write to one of her friends, a daughter of a former employee with similar sexual appetites. When Esther returns to her room, she is greeted by an invisible man, Ezra McKenna, in her bed, who has been watching her for the past couple of days and wants her. Esther quickly gives in to her desires and they have sex. After they finish, Magdalena enters the room with Booker and Amon, who can see the invisible man, and he's upset. Uh, I think that's an understatement. Amon was not amused. Not at all. By this, no. The group discusses the situation, and Esther apologizes for her actions. Magdalena states Esther is free to choose and sleep with whom she wants, but she needs to keep in mind the feelings of her men and how her choices can affect the group dynamic and reminds Esther that Ezra is not a member. Amon is the most jealous and possessive of the men we've met, and is having the most difficult time reconciling having to share Esther, and the next morning, very early, when he and Esther start over, he punishes her by pleasuring her and withholding orgasms for over two hours. Damn, that is a long time to bring someone to the, the edge and then withdraw, and then do it over and over and, and over. over again. And, you know, with thinking of just, like, Esther and her sex drive, I bet it doesn't take a lot to get her off. Like, she's probably very, like, yeah. sexually ready to go, like, all, all the, the time. time. So it probably was, like, it only took him a very short amount of time to get her to the brink mm -hmm. every time. So, But two hours. That is so long. That's so long. I mean, two hours is a long time to have sex in general and get your orgasm in, but to not have it. And I don't think they ever, I don't think they, like, had sex. It was all, like, foreplay, teasing her. Yeah. He never, like, gave her what she wanted until the very, very end when yeah. he was like, okay, I think you've learned your lesson. Mm -hmm. And after the punishment and apologies have concluded, because these apologies were done via the, like, foreplay and stuff. 
They do have sex, allowing both of them to finish, and we find out Amon's penis has a hook. And that's kind of where the um, nodding happens. Amon and Esther spend a couple of days together, and he must leave. He wants to find a house nearby to be closer to her. Amon lets her know that he is aware of Dr. Underwood and Goose and approves of them, and she informs him that she also wants Booker and Ezra. Amon dismissively gives his approval of her having Booker, but he's still not an Ezra fan. He's kind of like, oh, yes, you want to have sex with your, your servant. That's fine, whatever. But that man, the Irish man, no. no. Esther joins the girls of the house for breakfast, and there are some new girls, in particular Mary, who doesn't seem to be enjoying her patron, but does enjoy extracting extra money out of Esther and Mary take a journey into town to do some shopping, and Mary is still a bitch. That evening, Esther is lonely and missing her men, especially Ezra, but doesn't try to seduce Booker to cope with the loneliness. Gross. Yeah, I'd say so. Just a little bit. The next day, she has a meeting with Magdalena, and while Booker gets Esther ready for the day, he starts a new tradition, where he picks out her dress, helps her put it on, and fingers her in the process until she orgasms. And he's like, every day. Because also, like, Booker is a very, uh, the silent type. Yeah. Probably he's a man of, of little words and a lot of action. Yeah, probably because he's a golem and they're probably not supposed to be very sociable. They're just supposed to take orders and yeah. do what they're told. So, like, Booker has, like, one-liners. But he's still but it's funny. Amusing. Yeah. After giving her two orgasms, Booker then escorts Esther to Magdalena's office, who is preoccupied with trying to fix the wards of the house, and asks Esther if she wouldn't mind entertaining a visiting guest from another club, a water demon, and that this would just be a one-time thing. Esther, being the curious lady she is and wanting to try all the dicks, she agrees. Then she gets ex- then she gets escorted to the grotto by Booker to meet the new man. At the grotto, the water demon turns out to be a water wraith and has more sinister plans in mind. He attempts to sexually assault Esther and tries drowning her. Thankfully, she gets rescued by Ezra, who is able to slip into the grotto thanks to the failing ward. This near-death experience brings all of Esther's men to the manor to check and look her over, and they grant membership to Ezra, which is being paid by a goose. I do kind of feel bad for Booker in the scene because he's obviously accompanied her. Yeah. But he is made of marble. He can't get in the water because he would just sink. sink. He and can't then swim. He would probably drown Esther when he grabbed her. So, like, he, I think it was described that he kind of was panicking. Like, yeah, and he was trying out. to get to her, but, like, he couldn't. And then Ezra just happened to see them and kind of followed. Yeah. And then ultimately saved her. The men dote on Esther and are very concerned about her safety and are worried about her staying in the manor as clearly something's off. Esther protests that she'll be fine, plus she'll be going to London with Dr. Underwood and a goose soon, and if there's still a problem after the London trip, then they can reassess things at that point. So off to London we go with Esther, Dr. Underwood, and a goose, and they are all staying at a goose town, his townhouse, and she gets sent some new dresses made for her um, for a night at the Monster Theater. The trio arrive at the theater, which is showing The Company of Fiends Presents Tantalizing Nightmares. The theater is hidden in an alleyway in a sketchy part of London with magic to help ward its detection. 
When the three make their way into the private box Jonathan and Auguste share, they prep Esther that the show may remind her of her encounter in the grotto. But rest assured, all participants are willing, even if it appears they are not. Cue the consensual non-consent. Act one of the show starts with a woman being chased by a werebear. A werebear. That would be terrifying. (laughs) Right? (laughs) And when it appears she is about to escape, another werebear appears and captures her. Two werebears! (laughs) (laughs) Say that three times fast. The second werebear that appeared and um, captured her restrains the woman to a rock while going down on her. And then the other one comes back and makes her suck its dick. Which cuts to another scene with five humans on the stage in a V-shape in various poses of restraint. And three different monsters enter the scene, each starting to pleasure and tease the human in the center and then making their way down the V-shape to the other humans. While the show is happening on stage, Esther starts to receive her own private show of teasing with a goose and Jonathan. Yeah, I don't think she makes it through the first, like, the werebears before she's kind of like, touch me, like... Oh, she was getting hot and heavy. Like, instantly. Mm -hmm. So during the intermission, Jonathan and Ugas inform Esther that Act 3 is audience volunteers, and Jonathan asks her if she would like to perform with him using a new instrument that uses electric shock. And Mr. Tanner, of course. He will make an appearance. Of course, Esther is more than down for this. So Ugas goes and signs them up while Jonathan gives her the breakdown of how things will go. The play starts up again, and it's time for Act 2, which is a group water session with five girls and a different water monster, which slightly reminds Esther of the encounter with the water rape. But she's enjoying the combination of the voyeurism, fear, and arousal too much to give a fuck. She gives no fucks anymore. No. Once the act concludes, it's time for Jonathan and Esther to take the stage. He demonstrates a shock therapy dildo to inflict pain and pleasure to Esther. And once she orgasms from that, Mr. Tanner appears to fuck Esther. Which, this time, she wants to see him. And show him how she wants and desires all of him. Because remember, she has yet to see Mr. Tanner yet. Yeah, because the times they've been intimate before, he like... Makes sure she has to look. Yeah. So Mr. Tanner finally does show himself to her. And she is shocked, but still wants that monster dick. And rides him to climax. Because like, Mr. Tanner turns huge. He's like a beast. You kind of describe like how, how you were picturing it. Like, beast from Beauty and the Beast. But a little uglier. But uglier. More monster-esque and not just, like, cartoon yeah. beast. Yeah. So she's shocked, but she still wants that monster dick and rides him to climax. This display turns on the audience as well so much they are in a frenzy and have their own sexy happenings in the audience. However, while Esther and Mr. Tanner are about to finish, they notice a man watching them, but in a menacing way. Ugas noticed this unwanted attention as well, and the men rush out of the theater with Esther. Turns out this man is Bersha, a former king of Gamora, who owns monster brothels around the world, but instead of being in business of mutual pleasure and love connections like Rooksgrave Manor is, he is about rape, torture, and overindulgence. Like, pain. Like, he likes suffering. Yeah. He does not like consensual sex. No. Or people who enjoy 
On the ride back to the townhouse, they discuss how Magdalena needs to be alerted and that Bersha may be behind the water wraith attack as he is known to destroy other houses to kind of get the patrons and girls. The next morning, Esther wakes Jonathan up with a blowjob, which leads to her being able to have sex with just him and no appearance from Mr. Tanner, who was worn out from the previous night's activities and doing a patrol to make sure Bersha didn't follow them. When the two finish, they spend a lazy day together until Jonathan convinces Esther she should wake the vampire in the same manner she did him. And we learn that the two men have been known to play together in the past. Jonathan takes Esther to Ugas's below-ground bedchambers, and she wakes the dead, which turns into a very intense sex scene between the two, and then turns into our first threesome, the Give it up for the group sex. Ugas and Esther return to the manor while Jonathan stays back to prepare to prepare his practice for his departure to the manor, as the men are planning on staying until the Bersha problem is resolved. At the manor, it's time for a meeting with Magdalena to discuss the events in London, and they are joined by heads of two sister houses of Rooksgrave to form a possible alliance. After the meeting, Ezra, who has turned spy for Magdalena, has two new targets to keep tabs on. Also, while they were gone, Mags was able to help with Ezra's curse, and he can now reveal himself. Esther wants to know what she can do to help, and has a heart-to-heart with Magdalena about how she feels lost and doesn't see her worth, since she doesn't have skills or a job in comparison to the men, and even other ladies of the manor. Mags lets Esther know her heart and acceptance is her gift, and as far as accomplishments, her curiosity to learn and experience new things besides sexual ones. Esther is also learning the importance of different types of intimacy with romantic partners and is starting to form emotional attachments to all the men, which is something that has never happened in the past. With her past lovers, it's all been physical. With what? You can have feelings and emotions and care for and someone? And, like, guys can take care of you after the sex, and, like, you can have conversations with them and actually form bonds? What is this? The next morning, Esther gets woken up by Booker, ready to start his morning routine of getting her off before she gets ready for the day. But this time, Esther wants more than just fingers and mouth. Booker informs her that's all she can get this morning, her August instructions, but she will get more later that evening. At first, Esther is upset by this, and then she remembers that Ugis wants to watch her and Booker together. Later, Esther is walking around the lock, ready for a game with Ezra, where he takes her by surprise, then has sex with her. It's been a while, and he hasn't made himself known. Esther then starts to hear a couple nearby going at it, when she goes to investigate, Ezra snatches her and covers her mouth so she doesn't scream. And they see the couple going at it is a freaking Mary and, jo- and Jacob. So Jacob, who we had encounter with Esther being creepy, trying mm-hmm. to like make advances. And like manhandle his way into the manor. And then Mary, who clearly uses, doesn't want to be there. Yeah, doesn't like monsters, doesn't like the work she does, and like uses them mm-hmm. to her advantage. So fuck these two people. For sure. Mary's turning local tricks on the side and explains why Jacob was hanging around the manor property earlier in the book. Ezra must go report this back to Mags, so once again, 
for the day, Esther is left unsatisfied. That evening, Esther and Ugist dine with the other ladies and guests. Mary is there with her monster, Hunter, that she obviously can't stand and treats poorly, while he kind of, like, adores her. And Esther doesn't like this at all. After the dinner, the couple partake in exploring the communal manor rooms. The more they explore, the more sexually deviant they find people in stages of. So it's kind of like the deeper you go, the more intense it gets. The deeper you go, the deeper (laughs) they go. They They get into an underground one, and Booker and Ezra are there waiting for them. It's finally time for Esther and Booker to get it on. Yeah, Yeah, ride that marble dick. Here we go. All the other people in the room watch as Esther takes the stone man, and she puts on a show, which Ugas ends up joining in on, and he takes her ass. And Ezra joins in by taking her map. So now we just got a big old orgy. All the holes are covered. All the holes are being covered. So Mary is also in the room and was disgusted by all the pleasure Esther got out of fucking her monsters. Because that's something else. Like, Esther loves this. Like, she loves, she, like, low-key loves her monsters. Mm -hmm. Like, she loves everything that they bring. She doesn't care that they're not human like she's very accepting where while mary is the complete opposite and she's almost like disgusted like i can't believe she actually enjoys this and enjoys them yeah so esther wakes up from a bad dream and is calmed by seeing booker in her room but she can sense something is off with him that suspicion gets confirmed when booker starts strangling her and not in the sexy way but in the murder type way yep Turns out he's being possessed by Bersha, and his bonds to his creator, Magdalena, are being weakened by his growing connection to Esther, which left him an easy target to manipulate. Turns out, Bersha's issue is he doesn't like people enjoying themselves sexually, and he wants them hurting and hating, which is why he has made a target of pleasure and matchmaking houses like Rooksgrave and specifically Esther, who can't get enough. He's like, what? A woman enjoying sex? Not allowed. You must be gone. Thankfully, Esther can help Booker get control back and push Bersha out of his body. Jonathan enters during the end of the attack and starts looking over her wounds. I think she has, like, major, like, handprints around her throat. Yeah, because imagine this, like, marble Rachel choking you out and not in the sexy way. And Ezra comes in realizing that he missed something. So time for another meeting with Magdalena to figure out a solution to this new Booker problem. And the solution is clear to tie Booker to Esther. There is a little back and forth about this, but ultimately it's the best solution. However, the ritual will not happen until later that evening after the group can inform Ugas and Amon about it all. Everybody needs to be in agreement. Yes. Surprisingly, Amon takes the news well and heals Esther's bruises while Ugis is more upset and possessive about the ordeal. During this group conversation, things get interrupted with Mary being thrown out of Rook's grave and making a scene and Amon giving us some insight on Mary and why she is the way she is. As apparently another one of the Sphinx's many powers is he's also a seer. He can kind of read people and get glimpses of their... And like a little prophetic as well, like he can kind of see into the future. A little bit? Yeah, a little bit. 
So now it's time for the binding of Booker and Esther, which goes well until Bersha makes another magical appearance trying to stop things, but the two's connection is too strong and it happens anyway. Win for Team Rooksgrave. Yeah. Then we get another win for harem bonding with Amon inviting everyone to his home for dinner to get to know each other better and to make Esther happy, which he gets rewarded with biceps. Ezra gets up to some mischief with Esther, who is supposed to be meeting some of the girls, but he distracts her with a quickie hidden in one of the common rooms, and afterwards, he tells her to lie on the sofa all rumpled and waiting for more, and she is to seduce the next person who comes into the room, which is Booker, followed by Jonathan, for more group activities and bonding. Yay, bonding. There is a time jump cutting to the night of of the dinner at Amon's. Prior to, the gentlemen have been finding their footing with each other and Esther. She is loving her days and nights filled with sex and candy. When the group pulls up to Amon's, it's basically a palace, and Ezra is giddy at the possible theft opportunities. During dinner, the men talk to Esther about her future with the manor, them, and what she wants for herself in general. The men want her to pursue anything she fancies, They just want to be by her side while she does it. They all agree when Esther is ready to move on from the manor, they will do so together. And Esther is feeling all the love of and for the men. Lots of warm fuzzies here. So it's time to celebrate the official union of the harem, which includes all the men massaging Esther with the magical oil all over her body, then each man getting their turn with her, and Amon conducting the entire group scene. Ugis goes first, followed by Ezra, then Booker, then Jonathan and Mr. Tanner, being a dom. After the other four have had their way, it's time for the finale and Amon's claiming of Esther. He is fine with his queen having her consorts. Finally, he's come to terms with it. About damn time. Ugis must return to Rook's grave for his rest as Amon's home is not yet set up for a vampire and the rest of the group will return to the manor in the morning. The next day, while on their way back, Amon can sense something is wrong and flies ahead, leaving the rest of the group in the carriage, starting to worry about Rooksgrave and Ugis when they see smoke in the distance. Turns out, Bersha has had Rooksgrave set on fire. Once they arrive at the scene, Booker and Ezra make their way to get to Ugis to make sure that he is alright. Esther reconnects with Magdalena and some of the other girls, but Cassie and her vampire George have died in the fire. That was really sad. It was. She died trying to go save him. Yeah, she was trying to get to him. And I think she died of... Uh, like smoke inhalation. Smoke inhalation, yeah. Mr. Tanner and Amon must keep an eye on Esther to prevent her from running into a burning building after her men. Because she's hysteric and she wants she wants her vamp. Yep. She's about to pull Cassie. She is. As villagers start to arrive to check out and help with the fire, they are starting to take notice of the monsters, some leaving to let them all burn. So Amon offers his home to them, allowing them to escape. The remaining Rooksgrave residents and monsters are taking refuge in Amon's home and getting medical attention. Booker winds up making it back to Amon's, but Ezra is still missing and Ugis' fate unknown. So Amon's sister, Kepri, has joined at his request to assist with guarding the ladies and clients of Rick's grave, and she seems to be taking a liking to Max. 
I was getting a little sexual tension between oh, for them sure. too. Me too. Having a sphinx to protect the manor will hopefully keep future Bersha attacks away due to how powerful they are. Jonathan, Amon, Booker, and Esther are going to return to the manor since it's dark to see if they can rescue August and Ezra. As they make their way back to the manor, the villagers are looting the place, including Mary, who is now shacked up with the shopkeeper. The group and some other manor girls start to salvage what they can. Esther starts to hear her name being called by Ugis, so she wants to try and find him and gets a minotaur, Asterion, to escort slash guard her to follow the voice. When Asterion calls out to Tanner and Amon, they find something. Esther takes off towards Ugis. She finds him in a room on the floor, gagged, and his hands are staked to the roots of a tree. Bersha has him captured and is eating the heart of another vampire, which is how he gets his immortality. Time for the Bersha slash Esther standoff. Bersha wants to rape, destroy, and kill Esther as he can't stand that she enjoys sex. And he wants to destroy the other houses so no one has a choice but to use his. During his villain monologue, Ezra touches Esther, letting her know he is with her. She then begins seducing Bersha as a distraction, which allows Ezra and Esther to stab him. Mr. Tanner and Amon enter the room after Esther's attack on Bersha, but he was able to escape. As they are helping Ugist up, it is about to be dawn, which is not good for a vampire. So Amon uses his power to give Ugist the gift of being a daywalker, and Esther allows him to feed from her to gain his strength back. They make their way to Amon's home, the new manor location. Esther finally tells all the men that she loves them. They make plans to move to Egypt to get Esther out of Bersha's reach, as they research ways to destroy him as his roots of Gomorrah aren't, from, aren't far from Egypt. When she bids Magdalena farewell, she learns Amon's place and the new Rooksgrave Manor has been renamed to Star Manor. Which is another reason the drink is love from the stars. Yes. So now we get our epilogue. Sometime later, the group have been living and loving in Egypt. A letter arrives from the Company of Fiends asking for their help with the Bersha problem. They agree with what they have learned. It is time to go back. Ugis pulls Esther aside and reminds her of a question she previously asked him, would she make a good vampire? He finally answers her, saying he, saying she would make an incredible one and offers to turn her so she can be with them forever. He doesn't pressure her into saying yes right away, as all the men would need to be on board with the decision, and maybe Amon has another way to make it happen. But Esther does agree that one way or another, she wants forever with her gentleman, her family, and her home. The end. Oh. That was the Lady of Rooksgrave Manor. Very, very... Very summed up. Summed up, yes. Like, we didn't go into a whole lot of sex talk. Because we're going to have a very special sex talk with this book. So with that being said, I think we should just get into our favorite, our top three smutty scenes. Yeah. Kick us off, Ash. All right. So the first sex scene that I chose was actually the first sex scene with Esther, and it was just between her and Dr. Underwood slash Mr. Tanner. So this is when she 
goes to the doctor's office at the very, very beginning, and he kind of, like, propositions her. Yep. Esther teases Underwood, and he has her go to the chase with her back to him holding the back of the chair. She enjoys calling him sir, which he also enjoys as well. And Underwood starts to finger Esther from behind. Dr. Underwood also likes toys. So he pulls out a vibrator-like thing and puts that to Esther's clit, which she really enjoys. It kind of like takes her by surprise, but then she's very much into it. He makes her come using this as device and Esther begs for more. Esther notices a change in the doctor's voice and his touch kind of as it progresses. She also kind of notices, even before the sexual activity begins, his shadow is a lot bigger and monstrous than like his human form. I liked that like alliteration and the way that it was written. And this is also how she's kind of first finding out that monsters exist too. Yeah. Yeah. This is like her first experience with a non-human. So Esther is begging for his touch, but he makes her come again around his fingers. Dr. Underwood finally lifts Esther up and he enters her from behind. So she's like sitting on his lap, riding him reverse cowgirl, just like in a chair. He tells her not to watch and she also kind of makes an internal comment about how dr underwood isn't like abnormally large man like he's regular he's like a regular kind of you know ween and she like makes that comment and being like i don't even care because like he's super fine and i'm like into this it doesn't really matter he knows how to throw it he knows how to work it so like all is well but suddenly he barely fits and literally starts to grow inside of her, she can also tell that his whole body is much, much larger than before. And, like, hairier. And hairier. Like, the, I think at one point she describes that his hands on her waist, his fingers, like, almost touch. Yeah. Like, he's huge. He's He's a big monster. He then introduces himself as Mr. Tanner, but says that she can call him Sir, too. Mr. Tanner really likes the sir. He then begins to fuck Esther roughly, and she screams, urging Mr. Tanner on. He also starts calling her Little Girl. That's kind of like his pet name. She comes, and he then makes her bounce and ride his enormous dick. He then hands Esther the vibrator back because he wants to feel her coming around his dick again. She starts to use the vibrator when Mr. Tanner slaps her ass really hard and continues to do that until they both fall apart. Yep. So that is also the first sex scene that Esther participates in, in the book. So again, like this book has so much sex in it. Yes. I know our plot summary kind of easily glossed over the sex. Oh my goodness. Yeah, this it was, is this is an erotica. Yeah, you you get like a sex scene in almost every chapter. Okay, so what was what was your first favorite? So my first favorite is the first time Esther and Amon have sex, which is mostly the punishment piece. That two hour punishment, right? Yeah. So that starts off. Um, they're having breakfast together, and kind of hashing things out and like starting over, because of the whole Ezra situation and Amon gets up and he's like I believe it's time for my breakfast and like lays Esther out on the dining table and he's like we were interrupted the last time I tried to enjoy you when she had that dream and what he was about to start doing is going down on her so 
That's exactly where he picks up. So he starts eating her out. Amon's pet name to Esther is my star. Because, like, with his accent, when he says Esther, it sounds like star. A star. Yeah. <laughs> and so he's, like, going down on her, and he's like, you want to come, my little star? And she's like, always. And he's like, then I shall deny you for your punishment. And she's like, how long? And he's like, as long as I choose until I believe you can't stand anymore, and then I'll forgive you and I'll let you come. And she's like, you'll probably have to tie me down. And he does. He, like, shackles her with, like, these very fancy, like, gold cuffs and just starts, you know, going to town, fingering her and eating her out for two hours, not letting her come. Again, I can't get over the two hours of this. So she's, like, sweating and panting and, like, kicking and just, like, pleading, please, please, please let me come to the point where, like, her probably clit and just everything is so super swollen that she's, like, in pain probably at this point. She's probably crying. <laughs> Not in a good way. <laughs> but he does give her an out during this, which is another reason why I loved this scene. He's like, if it ever becomes too much, you can call Booker's name. The scene will end. He can come get you. You can leave. And she never took the out. Right. She didn't really want the out. She was still waiting for that payout from the punishment. Yeah. Like, there's no way she was tapping out. But I just like that there was that conversation and, like, that, yes, you can get out. This is supposed to be a very consensual thing, even though it's punishment. And Amon finally asks her, are you mine? And she's like, yes. And then he's like, I'm yours, too. And then that's when they finally do it. And it's like he immediately just, like, full thrusts into her. Because also, it probably has to be difficult for him for this foreplay for over two hours and him not getting his either. Well, yeah. I bet he's feeling the pain just as much as she is at this point. When he finally enters her, it went from the I'm not going to let you come to I'm not going to let you stop coming. Complete 180. (laughs) And they just continue to pound it out for even longer. And I think they go for probably another couple hours. It was just very hot. I really liked the punishment, brattiness. I feel that. Orgasm withholding, then like multiple, multiple, multiple orgasm giving. Yeah, that was a really intense sex scene with Amon. (laughs) Yeah, and it wasn't, and you got more information about like the punishment and kind of the foreplay tension stuff versus the actual sex stuff. But that was kind of another reason why I liked it because we do get so much sex. Yeah, like going into my second favorite, which also involves... (laughs) Jonathan slash Mr. Tanner, which this scene was a little bit more out there. So this was the scene when Esther and Jonathan slash Mr. Tanner perform their public performance at the the theater. theater. The act three. The act three, if you will. During this scene, you know, Jonathan is into experiments. He definitely gives me Jekyll Hyde. Oh, very much. Vibe. Like, very much... Jekyll Hyde, uh, Bruce Banner, and the Hulk. Very similar. Like, he was... Yes, like, he has this completely different personality that also manifests as a monster. So, Jonathan, the doctor, likes experiments. And like you said at the beginning of this book, like, I think that this takes place in, like, 1700s. Yeah. Time frame. So, electricity is probably... Newer. There, but newer. So Jonathan decides that he wants to try almost like electric shock, but 
for sexual pleasure. Mm-hmm. So he kind of like, does he strap her down? He has her like in this, it almost made me think of like a dental dentist chair sort of kind of yeah. thing. Because like it's, it's definitely intense. Yeah. I think it definitely takes Esther by surprise. Because he doesn't strap her, but he, there's like handles she can hold on to sort of thing. And it's like he uses, it's almost like a wand that yeah. has electric It's currents. like that positive negative. So it's like two dildo kind of things. So like how she ex- described the pain, it's like very similar to when Ugist bites her. That mm-hmm. kind of like sharp pain. But then it turns into pleasure. Like, have you ever licked a 9-volt battery? No. No, I can't say that. (laughs) Just me? So another great thing about this scene is the kind of bants that we get between Jonathan and Esther. Because he's always kind of checking in. He's always like, is it okay? Does this feel good? Do you like this? And she's always like, yes, give me more. Blah, blah, blah. So he eventually, like, makes her come. And she's, like, begging him not to stop like she is very much into this she's also thriving on the audience she she likes likes being watched and desired yeah so she's very much like enjoying the setting and enjoying what jonathan is doing and she is also liking what she's inciting because while this whole scene is going on like the people in the audience are just getting oh right they like are desiring her and she is feeding off of that as well so jonathan like finally makes her calm And Mr. Tanner is not holding out any longer. He wants to make his appearance. So Jonathan kind of moves her onto this table and has her kind of facing down and has her face turned away from, like, Jonathan. Obviously, Jonathan transforms into Mr. Tanner. She can tell because the voice, the size, like, she can tell that Mr. Tanner is here and present. And I also thought it was cute because, like, Auguste was, like, kind of coming in and out of the scene, like, helping with, like... The transitions and stuff. Because remember, him and Jonathan are like friends. They have known each other. And I think how they I think how they described it is that Mr. Tanner was the one who found Ugist, and then um Mr. Tanner like introduced Jonathan to Ugist. Yeah. Type of thing. Anyway, back to this sex scene. So back to the smut. Mr. Tanner is out and he specifically tells Esther not to look at him because he's still kind of fearing her reaction. And then during this, he starts pleasuring her. I think that he like fingers her very briefly and then is just like full throttle. Like mm-hmm. he wants in. And Esther wants it in. Yes. And remember the last time him and Esther had sex, she, he was already in her as Mr. Tanner took over. So this is the her dick first grew time. In and having yes. to like actually yeah this is the first time that he is inserting his monstrous dick into her so i think that it is a little painful just because of the size but once it gets she gets over that she is all for it and she eventually convinces mr tanner to show like himself mm-hmm. and he does he kind of like flips her over and then they start having sex well i love other. that then she like makes him lay down on the stage and then she starts, she gets on top of him and starts riding him so she can just, like, look at him and, and kiss him and, like, just be very intimate and have him actually see what he does. When Mr. Tanner comes to be, only downside to this scene is this is the first Bersha appearance when she's kind of almost stuck in a trance like she's riding mr tanner and she's kind of looking out into the audience and then catches his eye and then she kind of gets like stuck in this trance 
and I think that Mr. Tanner can tell as well. So it kind of like ruins the ending of their because then it's very they're very quick to get out yeah. of the theater because they know she's in danger. But other than that, I thought that this scene was awesome. Very well done. Very well done. And then also everything leading up into this scene too, like when August and Jonathan and Esther are up in the balcony and all the foreplay that happens like in their little private box before getting to this. Because then when they get to the stage, like her dress is kind of like ripped and she's very disheveled and like... Right. I mean, they definitely were participating in some foreplay during acts one through three. So by... Or one through two. So act three... She definitely was ready to get dicked down. And she did. And she did. All right, so my next favorite scene is when Ezra leaves Esther on the couch to seduce the first person that comes into the room. So this starts out there, like, in, like, a little alcove thing in, like, the library, it kind of seemed like. Just, like, in a side room. Yeah. It was probably, like, a parlor room or a library or something like that. And he, like, grabs her and pulls her into this little corner, and he, like, pulls her in for a quickie, so we get, like, a good... Quick, you know, Esther Ezra sex, sesh. yeah, fuck session, and then after you know she's all post orgasm glow and still wants more. He's like, go lay on that couch and like spread yourself so everyone can see your arousal. And whoever walks into this room first, you're gonna seduce them and they're gonna fuck you. And she's like, what if it's not one of you? He's like, I don't care. Do as you're told. Do as you're told, <laughs> ma'am. And Ezra has great freaking dirty talk. Yeah, Ezra does. Thankfully, Booker is the one that walks in and finds her. So he starts going down on her and having his way with her. And then Jonathan walks in and sees what's going on. And he puts his dick in Esther's mouth. So she's getting eaten out by Booker, mouth fucked by Jonathan. Then Ezra re-comes in and he also joins in the downstairs bits of Esther so again, they're just like in this public library sitting room thing. Door open. Well, anybody can just. Well, we are in a brothel, so. <laughs> I mean, it tracks. But they don't care. They don't. But it's just she ditched the girls. I would too. Are you? No I, offense. I yeah, no offense. No offense. I, I would ditch. She didn't partake in a lot of the female bonding because <laughs> she was too busy getting digged down. It was really good and hot. And yeah, it was a really good just, scene. You know, love the group. The group scenes. Love the group work. And at this point, it's a little later in the book, so, like, Ezra and Booker kind of have this really cute friendship. Yeah, they've kind of bonded and have become pretty good friends. Like, they joke around, and they had kind of, like, like uh, Ezra calls him Book. Yeah. It's like, Book, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's cute. They're, like, little friendship. And then also... So, since you said that you enjoyed more of, like, the group scenes, my final favorite sex scene includes Esther, August, Ezra, and Booker, and they're in a brothel area. So, this is after they went to dinner, one of those first nights that they joined the manor at night, and they go into the back rooms where each room gets a little bit progressively more wild, I think is a safe way to put it and so they they get to one of the main brothel rooms and mary's there i think cassie might be there a few of the other girls and their monsters are there all doing their own thing and so ezra starts going down on esther from behind while he's invisible giving everyone a good show like everyone in the room because think about it 
you're invisible. See through them. Yeah. Ugis is watching slash orchestrating the other monsters and Ezra. He's kind of taken up this, like, leader role and telling them what to do. He then tells Esther to make everyone jealous, including him. Then Esther, she does it with Booker. He is the first person to take her in this scene. So he also has a uniquely, like, pleasurable cock. Because remember, he was created and molded from stone created by Magdalena. And she took very good care of the panel and how she built the penis because it's like super ridgy. Mm-hmm. And then like the, like the the tip is like spade shaped. Yeah, just a little different shape. So it's like you can when it first enters, it'd be easy because of like that smaller pointy head. But then like it gets wide. It gets wider as you yeah. very quickly, and then you get those nice ridges after you get like that extra stretch. Love it. Good job, Mags. So Ugis then starts teasing slash slash asking Esther how great and amazing Booker's cock is. And this is like playing into his make me jealous statement, which Esther then picks up that it's like a game that it's all fun and games. Like he's not actually jealous. Like it's all just for fun. Ugis makes some commands and Esther comes. He then starts to tease her ass. Both Booker and Ugis tell her she is perfect. Ugis then starts to fuck her ass as Booker is still in her. So she is straddling Booker and Ugis is entering from behind in the behind. <laughs> they start to fuck together. Esther then catches Ezra eye and calls him into the mix. He then takes her mouth and they continue until they all come. And another thing that was like kind of nice in this scene is obviously Mary and her monster Hunter are there. Esther has kind of made the comment of, or the internal comment that she can tell that Mary is disgusted by Hunter and she feels bad for the monster. So she almost makes it her goal to show him that people can appreciate and be pleasured by by monsters. monsters. And that like, unfortunately, Mary just low-key sucks. So like that, I liked that too. Like it just showed her compassion and like caringness. Yeah. So, so that was my final fave of the book. What was yours, Alex? So my final fave is kind of the big shebang. The big, the big shot bang. <laughs> <laughs> the celebratory dinner fuck when like the harem gets like solidified and made as official. A harem. Yeah. So it starts off with Esther getting rubbed down. Ezra is, like, massaging her head. Jonathan and Booker are massaging her arms. Jonathan and Amon are massaging her legs and her butt. And they're, like, with this magical oil that Amon has that, like, basically keeps her from getting too sore from all of the fucking. Yeah, it's a magical ointment that's going to make it so she doesn't get sore. And there's no physical harm to her. Yeah, especially with all these different peens and things. And... (laughs) So, obviously, like, especially when you're massaging, like, your partner, that physical contact of massage starts to kind of get everybody aroused. So, this is happening, and, you know, Esther is our lovely, wonderful nympho. So, this, all this touching is doing a lot of stimulus for her. So, Booker starts working on her breasts, going from just a little arm massage to actually, you know, we're going to start making some things happen. And Amon decides to take a step back and he's like, I'm going to let everybody have their turn. And then he's going to claim Esther at the end 
when she's too weak to boss him around. And so a goose decides he's gonna take dibs first. So he starts by fingering her. And we get that same thing, um, you know, from Amon starts to be the uh, Amon starts to be the conductor of this scene. And as Auguste is like fingering her, he asks Ezra, kind of like in your last scene, would you give us a good view of our star as you fill her up? So then Ezra starts to slide his fingers through her hair and starts making his way down to Esther. And he gets on in there. And then she gets to give Booker a blowjob for the first time. And everyone at first was kind of like, are we sure this is safe? You putting a marbled dick in your mouth. And it's funny, throughout the book, they're kind of hesitant with Booker whenever it's the first time he's doing something with Esther. Because they're like, bro, you're marble. But like, he's very aware of it too, though. He's like, I'm aware of my strength. I can control it. Like, I won't hurt her. Yeah. So she's Sucking Booker off. No chipping teeth no on chick- marble <laughs> talk. Oh my could goodness. That could easily happen, especially with I like know. all the ridges and stuff too. Oh, yeah. oh my goodness. Yeah, you must really make sure your lips are protecting those teeth, girl. Like But he she uses her teeth and he likes oh, it. Oh yeah. And he says that it tickles. Oh yeah, I forgot that. Because she, she does. doesn't have to worry about protecting her teeth because it's not gonna hurt him. Right. So we get The two of them going at Esther, and then Jonathan's like, up, time's up, it's my turn to tap, tap, tap in. And he also tag teams in um, Auguste, because the three of them have played before. And so the three of them are going at it, and like, then Esther starts looking over at Amon, she's like, am I making you jealous yet? And he's like, no. I'm enjoying enjoying it. I'm enjoying (laughs) watching you. you get all of this. And this time with um, a goose and Jonathan, she's riding a goose and Jonathan takes her in the butt. And after that, it's Mr. Tanner's turn. And Mr. Tanner decides to play Mr. Dom. He's always pretty dominant, but this time he's like letting it, you know, out for the rest of the men to see. To see. And he's like, little girl, that sphinx grows impatient for you. And he's like, do you want him to fuck you too? And she's like, uh, duh. Why would I say No. And he's like, all right, well, then come be a, he's like, come be a good girl and get on this cock then. She starts riding him. And Mr. Tanner doesn't want to do any work this time. He's like, fuck me. Get yourself off. Love these, like, commands. Yeah, with Amon, it's like a Dom brat thing. And she's very submissive to Mr. Tanner. Because then in this scene, as she's, like, riding him, then he, like, starts slapping her ass and he's like you must thank me for every one and so like every time he smacks her she's like ah thank you sir more please and after that hasn't gotten her fill yet amon's up and it's also time for the hook make appearance to anchor down again (laughs) so she had sex technically with six different people well she is a nympho and or six different penises i don't know there was just a lot of dicks in like this very short amount of time yeah it was good. It was. I think that this was the only full-on all of them scene. Yeah, because there was scenes with Auguste and There Jonathan. were some scenes when one or two were missing. Like, this is the, I think, only one that we get that is all seven of them in, a, in an orgy situation. But I thought that it was really well done. And I enjoyed all the smutty erotica of this book. And there was so much. Literally, like, every single freaking chapter, yeah. except for maybe... Like the three. last three when <laughs> like, 
our plot stuff started to ramp up. So that's kind of our smut breakdown. Obviously, if you have read the book, you know that there's so much more. And if you haven't read the book, we did not spoil everything for you. No. We... So you can still read it and not know what's coming. Exactly. So with that being said, I think that it's time that we move into our love slash hates. So before we enter that, I want to know... Who is your favorite monster, Alex? Okay, I have two answers for this. Okay. Favorite monster that I would want to fuck out of this these men? Ezra. The invisible he's man. He's human, but just invisible. But he was also big. He was big. He's a bigger guy. He was, like, beefy and tall yeah. and, like... Irish. Irish. Yeah. And his dirty talk. Gosh. And then he was just, like, very sneaky in, like, his little games. Like, just... His style of sex. Like his, per- and his personality in it. Appeals to me the most. Mm-hmm. But then as far as like character development for the men and the monsters with everything, um, Amon. He did have the most growth. Yeah. But he needed to have the most growth for it to work. Yeah. So it makes sense. So my favorite monster, I think, would be Jonathan slash Mr. Tanner. Only because I talked to you about this pre-pod before we started recording. And I think what gets me with him is in a in a male lead in a romance novel, I like when the guy has kind of the two personalities where it's like he's kind of douchey or very dominant or very possessive, but then he's also very sweet towards the love interest mm-hmm. and like has a soft side. And like with Tanner and Underwood, you kind of get that like, yes, they are different. Like one is a monster, one is human. But, like... Their personalities. You get yeah, the like asshole. Underwood, you get yeah, the- Underwood is, like, such a sweetheart. But then Mr. Tanner is, like, that dominant, kind of douchey, but not not really douchey in this, but just very... He's an asshole. Yeah. And I like that. My close second, though, is Ugas. I like vampires. I read a lot of, like, vampire romance books. So, like, I'm familiar with vampires as far as, like, monster romances go. Plus, I just, like, really liked Ugas's like, demeanor and his personality. And, like, he was very sweet for a vampire, and I kind of liked that. He was a nice guy. I liked him. Yeah. But I could definitely see Ezra. I'd rather fuck Ezra, though. Yeah, I mean, Ezra definitely is bringing a lot to the table, too. And then Amon's like, growth throughout. But then, like, also I really enjoyed Booker. Like, they all brought different things. Yeah. So it was, like... They were all great. Okay. So now that we've kind of talked about our favorite monster, let's let's go into these loves and hates. Yes. So something I loved was just some dialogue during the um, theater thing when Esther says, "How nice for them!" Like watching everybody fuck. She's like, mm, "Great for them," but what about me? And and then goes into, "Give me a very good reason why I shouldn't swan dive over this balcony into an audience that would be glad to." Fuck me stupid. She definitely is bratty when, like, she wants the dick. She's like, if you're not going to fuck me, I will go find someone who will. So one of the things that I loved just kind of overall in the book is the women's sexuality, like, positivity. Yes. So obviously when Esther is in her pre-Rook's grave, she's described as being wanton. She's, like, described as being a slut or a whore. She's been dismissed from a lot of jobs because of of her her appetites. Yeah. But then when she gets into the manor, Magdalena is so like, you're unique. This is a special quality that you have. Even with her getting multiple 
patrons. Like, it's one of those things where Mags is like, you can have as many as you want as long as they all agree and can, like, make it work. work. Like, there's no shaming here. And, like, throughout the whole book, you kind of get this overtone of sexuality in a positive light. It was such a sex-positive book. Yeah. And I really appreciate that. And it also just makes the book better to read. Yeah. Because what's worse than reading something like that where everyone is like, you're a whore, you're a slut, you don't... I'm like, give this lead character a break. (laughs) But I think that Catherine Moon did a really good job at kind of encasing that. And I never got bored with all of the sex because there's so... Again, there's just so much sex in this book. And Catherine Moon just writes each scene very differently from the next. So you're not getting bored with kind of like a repetitiveness because there really isn't that. But also I would hope that if you are writing a book that you have six male leads that you could be imaginative and like you shouldn't be repeating things if you have so much to work with. And these people, monsters, since they are monsters, are so unique. She can take liberties that like a normal romance, you couldn't necessarily take and it be realistic. Yeah. But with a monster erotica, anything goes. Nothing's off limits. Exactly. So this is just like a littler thing that I kind of appreciated. I enjoyed how the chapters had titles. I don't feel like with a lot of romance novels, current romance novels, you see that. I think having names of chapters has kind of become a especially with romance because it's usually like the character whose point of view we're in yeah but i liked i thought that the chapter names summed up the chapters really well yeah they were themed so it was like one of them was like the celebration and or it was like the introductions into rook's grave manor yeah or or whatever it is but i kind of enjoyed that because i was really cute seen it in a while And something I loved was how the men made Esther realize she's more than her station and made her feel like a queen for just being her. Yes. And like kind of going on with that, I really liked how Esther was very like was a very authentic female lead and really did love and enjoy her monsters. Yeah. I'm glad that she was the lead and like that was her kind of personality. And also, the last thing I loved was Esther's relationship with Magdalena. Yeah. And there was also a really cute moment with Mags and Esther after the, like, soul tie thing with Booker where she's like, I feel like a mother-in-law now. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, she's like, this, like, Booker is my child, and now I feel like he's married to you. you. I did like their relationship, and I like their growth. And then when Esther leaves, Mags gives her a tarot card deck, which is kind of a way that, like, Magdalena kind of helps set up some of the love matches and stuff like that. I, in this book, loved all of the nicknames, and each monster had a different nickname for Esther. And I thought that sometimes nicknames can be a lot in a romance novel, But I thought this one was cute. Especially since we got a variety. So it wasn't like just, you know, your typical male, one male, one female, where that nickname is getting used and And used. And every monster has a different nickname. So it's like little one is Tanner's. Moncure. So August has like some French. It's like my love. Mm -hmm. I think that's his nickname. My heart. My heart. It's in French. Then Ezra is Pussycat, but in Irish or Gaelic. Cushin. Yes. And then Amon is my star. And then, does Booker have one? I feel like he does, but I can't remember what it is. I know, I can't either. 
But anyway, I just like I thought that the nickname element was really cute, especially my because lady. I, I wasn't it my something like that. Maybe. I don't know. So another thing that I really loved was this was a super super smutty book, but actually had a decent story and like a decent plot line. Yeah, I mean, because we basically gave the plot breakdown without really getting into, into the, the sex. Yeah, and so I thought that with this being more of an erotica, I really went in being like, okay. This is just going to be so much sex and very, very little plot. But, like, I was very surprised in a good way that we actually got a pretty decent plot. And I actually cared about the plot. Exactly. I was like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? Yeah, like, what's going to happen with Mary? What's going to happen with Bersha? What's... My last love is I really enjoyed that the ending is open-ended and leads into book two of this series. I like that they're going to be back. Bersha hasn't just disappeared. He's going to be kind of the villain in the second book. And, like, this harem is going to assist the new harem in potentially taking him down, question mark? We'll have to read it and find out. But I did appreciate that. I definitely want to read the second book. Yeah, I do too. And it's out now, so we can. It's Company of Fiends by Catherine Moon. But I do like how the epilogue had a purpose and is tying into the rest of the series. But then still gave you the thing that you like where you get to see how everyone's, like, coping in this new relationship. Mm-hmm. And we kind of get Ugis's like, do you still want to be a vampire? Because I think you would be a great vampire conversation. And, like, that's cute that everything is, like, going to plan. Yeah. Those are a few of our loves. Let's get to our hates. Okay. I want to start off the hates okay. with something a little different. So there's certain words in romance novels that are just uncomfortable, cringy, just personally... Not my cup of tea. (laughs) Yeah. And I've learned Ashton has a threshold for some of these words compared to me, but I did... There was one for me. So I'm curious, what are some words that you did not like? Well, let's start with yours. What was the one word or phrase that you didn't like? The only thing that I didn't like in this was there was the use of uncontrollable gush. Didn't like that. (laughs) Yeah, that's not a great one. I'm not a huge fan of that. Didn't like that. So, I have two. I only have two, really. Isn't that kind of surprising? That is, because I thought there was going to be more. Because, you know, obviously when a book is, like, so sex-forward, you're going to have to use different... You can't just use the same terms or... Wording and alliterations for parts and... This is, like, over a 300-page book, so... And come and... Just, you know, you got to spice it up. Change it up. So one of the words that made an appearance that you actually pointed out to me because I think my brain shut it out because I hate it so much that I didn't even realize it when I read it. Diddle. Diddle was actually written (laughs) in a chapter. It was. It made me laugh. It made me laugh reading it because I was like, oh, I bet Ashton's going to hate this. And if you don't understand, in an episode of Hunting Adeline... If you haven't listened to that, go check it out. In our plot breakdown, Alex uses the word diddle. Uh And I kind of like freaked out a little bit. I was like, whoa. I like stopped her mid-conversation. And I was just like, you can't use that word. Like, (laughs) did you really think you were going to say diddle and not get a reaction out of me? So diddle was actually in this book in like chapter two. Yep. My my brain blocked it out. (laughs) But my second one was it it said something like dewy in between my thighs just like dewy doesn't belong there (laughs) there's only only so many times you can use the word wet though (laughs) i know but dewy like 
I could see, like, as an author, like, going to the thesaurus and being, like, wet. <laughs> and being like, oh, do we? <laughs> but, like, I just kind of cringed at that. But those were my two. I'm surprised there weren't more. I think I kind of, like how you said, in this type of romance, you have to be more lenient. So I think I kind of went in being like, I know that I'm going to come across some things that I'm not a huge fan of. Yeah, because there was also when another episode, if you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to Hook, Line, Sinker. There was a thing that you really hated. So that's why I was, I yeah, was curious like, about. Sometimes more like contemporary romance books can use some really cringy flower, like flowery, flowery language that I just, I would rather it be just straight up dirty and like, and this was more dirty than flowery and yes, this one was a little bit more dirty. So I think also I kind of let it go. But yeah, so my first hate is that I do kind of wish that this was a multiple POV. I thought for a that could solo, have been really confusing though. I don't know. I've read reverse oh. harems where every character has chapters, four or five guys and a girl, with multiple like chapters of every person. Yeah, I just I'm so you I just love POV, a dual or multiple POV because you you get more insight on the other characters. I think that this book was really well written for a single POV, but there were some points where I kind of was like, I kind of wish I got inside the brain of like Mr. Tanner or Ugis. And I know with a monster romance, it's probably why Catherine Moon stayed away from it because getting into the minds of monsters might be a lot of additional work. Yeah. And it, is probably just too much. So I'll say that's like a light hate because I was okay with it being a single POV. But there were just moments where I kind of wished... You could get in this inside of the head of some of the other guys. Yeah. Yeah, the brain head, not the penis head. No, brain. <laughs> so I think this goes without saying. Um, I'm going to... Uh, Bersha and Mary hated them. Like, Mary, what a bitch. Why take the job if you hate monsters so much? Just be a regular whore. In a normal brothel. In a normal brothel. like You probably won't get treated as well as Rook's Grave, but you wouldn't have to be fucking monsters. Yeah. But she was, like, she came from nobility, so I feel like she could probably find a, like, high-class, regular establishment. Yeah. And, you know, Bersha, why you gotta ruin everybody's good time? Yeah, and he's just such a hater. Like, the fact that he only, he thrives on, like, pain and rape and, like, no one enjoying themselves. It's kind of like, dude... He is not sex positive. No. So one thing that I did hate as well is I felt, you might disagree, that there was very little backstory of Esther, and I wish we got more character development, like, prior to her coming into Rook's grave. No, that's one of my things that I wish was a little different. Like, I wish we had more character development from her. Because, like, you know that she's been working as a maid probably her whole, like, adult life, or since the time that she's been able to work. Like, her biggest thing was that she was a nympho. It's like, can she have other characteristics? Could she have had one other hobby other than right. sex? Because I liked her character development once she gets into Rook's Grave, like, how she starts developing, like, emotional attachments and growing as an individual and, like, stuff. Yeah. And she starts to get a little bit more at the very end when Mags, ha her and Mags have that heart-to-heart. -heart. Right. And she does start, like, learning to cook with a goose and then you know max gives her the tarot cards and she starts diving into that and it's like i kind of wish we got that a little bit sooner and i wish that we just had a little bit more background coming into like the manor yeah because 
her backstory that we got was like she was being raised by her aunt. Her aunt pushed her to work in the service industry, in, made yeah, and then she was just bouncing and, kind of around because she got fired from one house because of her appetites of yeah. getting caught too many times. So that's the only thing. Another thing I wish was a little different. I wish um, we knew what happened with Esther's friend that she wrote to to yes. recruit into the manor. Like, I'm kind of like, is that going to go anywhere? <laughs> yeah, is that going to be a book? Is she going to be at the in the company of fiends? Because like, I know that I you know. you said that you thought when we read it that she ultimately ended up writing and sending the letter, but like I don't even remember if she even did that. So I'm like, was there kind of a point to this, or was it kind of more just fluff until the next kind of the thing. thing came, or is it actually going to evolve? I don't. Yeah. I just wish we got a little bit more with that. My last hate. So you mentioned Mary and Bersha. Mine is Jacob. What was the point of Jacob? Like, I literally wrote, was Jacob really necessary? Because, like, sure, he had that one appearance with Mary. And And the one with... And one with Like, we didn't necessarily need his name. I wish we would have had, because my last hate kind of piggybacks off of that, and I wish we'd have gotten, like, a torture and punishment sort of thing for Jacob. Because obviously he a- attempted to assault Esther and then being caught with Mary. So I wish there was, like... Something else there. Yeah, like, yeah. that when Ezra went to Mags to go report it, that, like... Mags cursed him or something. Yeah. Like, anything. Just to get, like, another reason for him being there and us, like, having a name and stuff for this character. Otherwise, he could have just been a villager. Yeah. Unnamed villager. Or just Jacob. Why yeah. do we need to know that his last name was also Combs? Like, you're giving this minor character really big, like, details that I'm kind of like... Or at really... least, or if Mary wound up with him when they came back to the manor versus but her hooking up with the shopkeeper. Right. All right. We are moving on to one of our favorite segments. Casting. Which is our casting call. I'm just so excited for this one. I know, you were saying. I freaking love my cast. That your casting is like my takeover cast. Yeah. So we'll love you start. So my Esther Reed is the lovely and beautiful and wonderful Paige from WWE. Her aesthetic and like look, I think that you won with that casting. You told me before I started casting and I was like, I can't copy you. But she is so great. Like, Especially if you look at her and you look at the cover. woman on the book cover. Yes. And Paige is British, and I feel like this is obviously set in England since right. they go to London and stuff. Yeah. So So I kind of had to choose my second because Paige, I think, is the winner of Esther casting. But I went with Demi Lovato. Ooh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, because she has also... The dark aesthetic. She also kind of, like, she and Paige, I feel like, are kind of similar in, like, a little bit more grungier, a little bit more punkier. All here for a good time. All, yes, yes. So that's who I went. And then for the first monster we meet, Dr. Underwood, Mr. Tanner, I cast Eddie Redmayne. That's a really good one. He gives me Especially for the Dr. Underwood. yes. Because, like, obviously, if this was a movie, if they made this a movie or TV We'd show... We'd have to have, like, Mr. CGI. Mr. Tanner would be CGI. Yeah. Like, there's no way that you could cast just for Mr. Tanner. But I think that he is a great Jonathan casting. Like I said, you showed me this before I started casting mine. I was like, yeah, that's the obvious freaking winner. 
So I went with my second choice, like what I think is second best. And I did Michael Fassbender. And I know you've already cast him in something else. I cast him as Michael in Scarred. I also get he could be very sophisticated doctor. And him and Eddie, like, they kind of have similar. A he's, similar he's, similar he's beefier. Who's next? Which monster? Booker. So for my Booker choice, I picked John Bernthal. He is from the Punisher TV show on formerly Netflix, now Disney+. Plus. He has that, his, like, jawline. Like, his bone structure and his face. Like, I could definitely see him being made of marble. That's a really good choice. So I struggled with Booker. I originally went with, like, a younger Vin Diesel. But I didn't like that. I was like, I don't, that's so, because I was going for, like, the bald look. Someone yeah. who, I knew, who I knew could rock being bald. bald. And then I changed my mind and I was like, now I'm going to go with who I originally cast, which was Michael Trevino, who plays Tyler in The Vampire Diaries. Yes. He's never been bald. I don't have pictures of him being bald. But something about him, I just, I don't know. I was like, you know what? I could see him being a booker. Next monster. Amon. Amon. And I am picking Mena Massad. He's the, he's in the newer live action Aladdin That's movie. a good choice. Because also Amon is Egyptian. Yep. So I stuck on brand and I also chose an Egyptian actor and I chose Rami Malek. Such a good choice. And like, I could see him as mm. like a sphinx. Yeah, he's hot. Next one. Ezra McKenna, my right. favorite, my favorite monster. Who did you cast? And I picked Emmett J. Ganlin. Is Aww. he Irish? Yes, he is Irish. So he's Irish, so you stuck to the Irish brand. He's been in Peaky Blinders. He's an Irish actor, did some BBC stuff, probably most known in Peaky Blinders. Okay, cool. And the Tower TV series, which I think is a UK okay. show. Okay, very cool. I liked his aesthetic. I could see him being an Ezra. So I also stuck on brand with the Irish casting, and I chose Gordon Darcy, who is a rugby. He's an Irish rugby player. Ooh, hello. <laughs> right? So kind of beefier, the facial hair. And last but not least of our monsters, we have Ugist. So my Ugist, I know Ugist is French, but I chose a Spanish actor Miguel Angel Silvestre. He is from the TV show Sense 8, would kind of be something we would know him for. And then he's done other, like, Spanish TV shows. I like him as uh, an Ugist. So I did stick to the French actor, and I chose Louis Garel, and it's probably very French, and I'm butchering it, so my bad. <laughs> so let me see if he's been any in anything that we would know. A lot of French things. So yeah, I mean, he's a French actor. So <laughs> I think that most of his, his credentials are French things in France. So I don't recognize anything that he's been in. But I don't know. I thought he's described as being, Ugas is described as being like darker haired. And so he just was the closest French dude that I could find <laughs> in my Google search of hot French actors. <laughs> oh, sorry. Hot French male oh, actors, because you will get girls if you just don't specify. <laughs> but let's let's finish up our casting with the lovely Magdalena. And I chose Miss Jada Pinkett Smith. That's a really good one. I could see her being like witchy. I could see her being the head of this brothel. Mm-hmm. 
Definitely. And she's still a beautiful woman that, oh, like, yeah. could very much, like, still take on clients if she wanted to. Or, like, men would still, like, and monsters would still want her. But she's like, I'm the madam now. Yes. Yes. I like that. And see, my choice, I got the same vibe. Like, as soon as Mag's character was introduced, I automatically was like, Demi Moore. That's a good one. Like, uh, I don't know what it is about her, but... And I know that I cast, like, two Demis or Demis <laughs> in this... In this uh, you did! I didn't mean to. It just happened that way. Hey, the shoe fits. Cast yes. it. Yes. But if you want to see those casting calls and get some visuals, make sure you check it out on our Instagram page, Emotions and Potions Pod. It'll be on our TikTok, which is the same handle. And you will also be able to find our Spotify playlists on Spotify and on those platforms in link forms. Also, Emotions and Potions Pod. Yes. And so with that being said, let's soundtrack this. It's time to soundtrack a lady of Rook's Grave. So my first song selection is just, you know, book vibes. And the song is Smells Like Sex from Sizzy Rocket. That is a very good overall book song. <laughs> 100%. My overall theme song, and just, duh, Monster Mash by the Misfits and John Kefiro. Yes. I mean, I just feel like it is kind of like a cornier song, but it... But the Misfits version, like, brings it actually like makes it more vibey yeah and like it was the first song that you added to the playlist and I was like duh duh so that was my overall theme (laughs) my next pick is Esther's theme song which is touch a touch a touch me and I picked uh Victoria Justice's version and this song comes from the Rocky Horror Picture Show like that so I also had an Esther's theme song and I had two slut like you by pink And All the Time by Kim Petras. Yes. Very much Esther. Yeah, very much. And also, just so you know, if you have never listened to Slut Like You by Pink, it is, like, pro. It's not slut-shaming. Sex positive. Yeah, it's not a a slut-shaming song. It's pink. She would not be slut-shaming. And it's a great song. All right, so my next song choice is for when Esther gets her new job at the manor. Just kind of... This new adventure, Brothel Mannery song, and it's Feeling Good from Nina Simone. Ooh, that is a really good song. And the like the vibe of that song, I feel like would fit really well in like a monster erotica. Yeah. Like the vibe. Especially with the Nina Simone singing it, just that jazzy and, like, sultry sultry woman seductive thing. Ugh. Yeah. That was, that's a good one. So I had my next um, category that I had is Esther's love song for her monsters. So this would be like her love song to them. And I had Tie Me Down by Griffin and Ellie Dunn. Yes. Just a little like, it's like a lightly saucy song. But it also is like, it could be interpreted like tie me down as in like physically tie me down and like do bad things to me, but also like emotionally. tie me down emotionally. So yeah. My next one is a song for the ladies of the manor. Just like everybody, especially when they're like gathered together, chatting stuff up and just, you know, sex worker vibes. Nice. Breakfast by Dove Cameron. Oh yeah. I could I eat these boys, boys for, like breakfast. You for breakfast. <laughs> one by one. <laughs> yes. No, that's a good one. And that also, like, the aesthetic of that song 
like the vibe of that song is yeah. also like very dark or darker. So I also had other girls in Rook's Grave theme song. This is more so aiming towards Mary and girls specifically like Mary. I hated to do this, but the song, I just was like, I have to. And it's by Tanache, Throw a Fit. If you don't buy me what I want, <laughs> I'ma throw a fit. <laughs> and like, that is just like, Mary. Yeah. Like she's, she's after that monetary goods. She doesn't care. She'll do stuff with Hunter, but only if he pays up. Yeah. So my next song is for the male male love. So basically a song for Auguste and Jonathan, um, which is both by Todrick Hall. Good one. Yeah. They can do both. They can do both. So my next song is my sexy time song from the monsters to Esther. And that is Do It For Me by Rosenfeld, which is just like a very, like, you do it for me. Yeah. And like they, ob Esther obviously does, does it, it for, for all of them. <laughs> And does it to all of them. Yes. It has no qualms about it. Nope. All right. So my last song choice is a sexy time song. And it's, oh, wait, that was mine. Ro yeah, I'm do done. it for me. Rosenfeld. Oh, so you had that song as well yeah. for an overall sexy time? Yeah. It's a good one. I mean, why? Uh, great minds think alike. It's a great sexy time song. So I also did something a little different. I added, for some reason, as I was reading this book, I was like, Oh my gosh, if this movie was, or if this book was ever turned into a movie or a, or a TV show, you know with Euphoria, Labyrinth does all the composing of Euphoria? Yes. I was getting like Bishop Briggs, like Ooh. Bishop Briggs would be the composer of like the series or the movie. Yeah. And something that would also be kind of cool with the music for this, kind of, and I did add a couple of songs from the soundtrack to this playlist. How Bridgerton took contemporary songs and did, like, a quartet sort of thing. They took, like, didn't they do, like, a Rihanna Diamond song? Yeah. Like and they I, did it in, like, a Like a, like a string quartet, yeah. Because yeah. I put that one on the playlist. It'd be f cool if they did that, but then still kept the actual lyrics versus it only being instrumental. instrumental. That would be really cool. And this would match, I feel like, really well. So if you want to see the full playlist... Make sure you check that out on Spotify, Emotions and Potions Pod. And all of our playlists are up there. Yep. And they're good. They're really good. And this mm -hmm. one, there's like 75 songs on it. We pay, we were able to find 75 songs to be able to like jive with this monster book. Keep it up for us. Yeah. And I will say that Alex is the, uh, she contributed a lot more music to this playlist than I did this week. I even told her that I was low-key kind of struggling. But she found some really good, not sexy time songs that actually like connected musically to the book. Ooh. So shout out to Alex. She's Ooh. been killing it. I, I, I get too much into a deep dive and just start thinking of themes. And I'm I like, know. Da, da, da. I know, me too. You go down the freaking rabbit hole. Yeah. All right, Alex, should we move on to our last segment, which is our ratings? Yes. Okay, so for this book, I gave it a 4.5 out of 5 for our spice rating. I thought it was pretty spicy. It was, so I gave it a full 5. Did you? I don't know. I I guess I'm just waiting to give a 5 to something that just freaking blows my mind. I don't know if I'll ever give anything a 5, but, like, this is very smutty. Yeah. I mean, we had tons of trigger and content warnings. The amount of sex in this book, it's the most from any episode we've done so far. Definitely. But it being more erotica. You expect it. But you're right. It was extremely 
smutty and maybe I'm just like desensitized now where I'm just like waiting for something batshit crazy to be like no that's a five like <laughs> I've never read anything like this, and it's wild. Don't get me wrong, this was definitely wild. And as I was reading it, I kind of was like, oh my gosh, like, this is intense. But I mean, like, I've read quite a few reverse harems, so maybe I'm just, like, <laughs> desensitizing <laughs> myself to sex stuff. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Again, just kind of like how I asked you in um, Her Soul for Revenge, what more do you want in this? <laughs> and I couldn't tell you. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I'm looking for. So it's a five. We'll just go five, okay? It was very smutty. You can keep your 4.5, but... Okay, 4.5 for experienced readers, five for more non-experienced readers. Okay. But I do think that we mentioned this, too, that we think that this would be a great book as an introduction into a monster erotica. Yeah. Because there is still plot. Things are crazy, and, like, there's a lot of sex, but we think that new readers would be okay with this as long as you know what you're getting into yeah as long as you're not going into it blinded Mm -hmm. it's definitely a good starting point overall what did you rate this book overall i gave us an eight and a half i did eight i did an eight out of ten so i was i was like i said at the beginning of the episode i was surprisingly surprised (laughs) i know i was worried because i've been trying to get you to read this book for like a year now no i i i will give it a love letter giving it a love letter to you yeah I mean I I definitely want to read the second book I was entranced throughout and not just because it was so heavily smut which I love but the plot was actually decent yeah and took me on a journey with these characters it made me care about them and I want to know what's going to happen and yeah I liked Esther I liked all of her monsters I liked the writing I thought Catherine Moon did a really good job at this I'm excited for book two. And I was able to reread this and still very much enjoy it. So, I mean, it's kind of why it got that, like, half point higher, too. Because it's, like... As a reread, it still intrigued you. Yeah. And drew you in. Which is big. So, uh, unanimous decision of this love letter. We're in agreement. Yeah. Maybe season two we'll do Company of Fiends. Let us know if you want us to... Yeah, if you guys like this type of uh, book and you want us to do more, let us know. If you don't like this type of book and want us to read something that you enjoy... Then let us know. Let us know. If we are picking all the books here, then you got to deal with what we choose. Exactly. So, if you have a suggestion, leave it. That was another episode of Emotions and Potions, a love-slash-hate letter to a lady of Rooksgrave Manor. By Catherine Moon. And, and it was a unanimous love. Yes. We love it. We want more of it. And we're getting more of it. And we are. Because there's also going to be a book three. Yep. So maybe we'll do both of those. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm Ashton. And I'm Alex. And thank you again for listening to this week's episode. And until the next one, rate. Subscribe. Subscribe. Like. Review. Share. Follow. Interact. Interact. Comment. Slide into our DMs. In all positive ways. Sex positive. (laughs) Sex positive. Podcast positive. So until next time. Bye. Bye.